So we're in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God guides in every way. That's the title of this morning's message, and that's the thought that we're going to be bringing through this morning through these verses that we just read. Some people consult a horoscope for daily guidance. Others consult pop culture to be their guide in life, such as YouTube influencers, the lives of sports, music, and movie superstars. Still others are guided by money, career, children, spouses, comforts, prestige, power, security, and the list can go on and on and on and on. The question for us is, what or who is ultimately guiding you? Because whatever you have an appetite for, it will be your guide. It will consume your thoughts, and it will provoke you to act. Do you hunger and thirst to be guided by the Lord and to honor and glorify Him? Or do you hunger and thirst for something else? Now, I truly believe that I'm addressing the church. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We know that idols are nothing. And idols are dumb, mute, blind. They cannot guide. Habakkuk 2.18 and 19 says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Be mindful of what or who you allow to guide you, and why? 
It is that you're allowing whatever it is, whoever it is, to guide you. Sometimes we can say, well, look within. That's what the world says. Look within. Look to your own heart. Let your heart guide you and direct you. Whatever it is that you desire. May you wish upon a star. and just, Right? It, it's, it's all this dreamy stuff. It's all looking within. That's what the world tells us to do, right? But self-counsel can be a disaster if not guided and tempered by God's word. Because James 1.5 tells us where to find wisdom. If any of you, not just some, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask his neighbor. No? Let him ask God. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Not Beyonce, not Oprah, not Dr. Phil, not the Daily Horoscope, not whoever. God will give you wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. As we will see this morning... As Paul goes on his second missionary trip to bring good news to all of the churches that he had visited before, he will be guided by God in every way, number one, to someone who will join him in the work of the ministry as he ministers. He also is guided by God in every way to bring the good news of Jesus Christ As the Lord builds his church and we'll see how he is guided by God in every way to just the right place to do the work of the Lord wherever the Lord chooses for him to go. Three things we're going to see this morning. That is what it means to giving up to win souls. How it is that the Apostle Paul was spreading good news For all. And we'll see what that looks like and what that means. And thirdly, how it is that God guides to just the right place. Let's talk about giving up. That's the first three verses here that we read. It says here, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Uh, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul begins his second missionary trip by traveling north uh, on land, not west, to the coast. Uh, last time he went to the coast, and from there he, went, he sailed across to Cyprus, went across Cyprus, and then went across, sailed north and into Asia. But not this time. This time he goes north, all by foot, on land, through Syria and through Cilicia. Remember, it was Barnabas and John Mark who went to the island of Cyprus this time, but Paul and Silas traveled north. And they went on from Derby. Now they're going backwards, right? Derby is to the east, and then you have Lystra, and then you have Iconium that is just to the north of Lystra, and then from there they continue to travel. 
They continued on from Troas to, to Macedonia and on to Philippi, which we'll take a look at next week. But it was in Lystra that Paul met up with Timothy, whose father, as we have learned here, two times we, we have it said that his father was a Greek. His father was a Greek. It was emphasized. But his mother was a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ. She was a Messianic Jew. It's believed that five years had passed from the first missionary trip to the second missionary trip. So it's, it's been five years since Paul has seen anyone in this area. And now we see how it is that Timothy is described as a disciple. And he's well thought of, he's well spoken of in Iconium and in Lystra. Paul hadn't spent much time in these areas. But the time that he did spend there made a great impact for the sake of the gospel. It was in Ephesus that he spent three years plus. But in these areas, in this area right here, he didn't spend much time at all. But what did take place there made a great impact on so many people. And we can say especially Timothy. It was here that the people attempted to worship Paul, if you can remember, as a god. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived as they went to Lystra, persuading the crowds that Paul was speaking falsely. The same crowd that was hailing them as gods were now turning on them and seeking to kill them. These Jews that were jealous, that were accusing Paul and Barnabas of blasphemy, had turned the minds of the people around to such a degree that they were willing to kill them. And they did. Pretty much they, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of town there in Lystra and left him for dead. But he did come too. And when he did, he went back into town and the next day he left for Derby, which is, is about 75, 60 to 75 miles east of Lystra. But then after he was in Derby, he came back to Lystra he went back to Iconium and then continued on to Antioch and Pisidia and then came south. That was his first missionary trip. Now, having had such opposition in those cities, the person who does not understand the message that he is there to deliver and the encouragement that he possesses for people will not have gone back into those cities. I mean, if, if you knew that people in Iconium, in Lystra, and perhaps Derby, maybe it's, they've had word, you know, and, and it's traveled to Derby. If all in all those places you had people who sought your life, would you go back to them? No, you'd kind of, you know, you'd avoid it, right? Well, Paul didn't. Paul didn't. He stood. He advanced. He continued to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, I ask the question, why? Why did he do that? Do you understand the hope that you have? Do you understand that in Christ, that hope that you have, others only hope to have? And you have an answer for their despondency. 
their hopelessness. You have it. It's within you. You declare, you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone who would be willing to incline their ear and their heart to you. Explain to them that hope that lies within you. The Apostle Paul was willing to even lay down his life for the sake of delivering, being faithful to God, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he did. He returned to Lystra and went on to Iconium. Now, in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, that was when they were in Derby, and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That sounds familiar. This word of warning was the same thing that Jesus would give to his disciples. You know, hey, listen, you will be faced with many tribulations, with opposition. But take heart, I have overcome. Continue on. I know I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He, Jesus knew that. He warned them. And so the Apostle Paul was doing the very same thing. And, and he was exemplifying what it meant to, say, to stay the course and be steadfast in the face of opposition. That's what it looked like. Well, one of the people that knew all of this, that had taken place in Lystra and Iconium and in Derby on Paul's first missionary trip, and may have been an eyewitness to it all, this young man's name was Timothy. Since that time, five years earlier, Timothy had given himself to the study of God's word, is described as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he was serving the Lord. Know that his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice had been pouring into him the word of God. They were building him up in the faith. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This young man was, became a protege of the Apostle Paul. He called him a child in the faith. This was a young man that came alongside the Apostle Paul. He wrote two letters to him, and he was mentioned in six other letters. I believe it was six other letters he was mentioned in, having been with the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the other churches. Oh, what a wonderful relationship developed between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Well, at this point, Paul discerned that Timothy would be a great asset to the ministry, and he wanted to, for him to join Paul and Silas to go on the rest of the trip with him. Now, just something to consider. I'm sure that the departure of Barnabas and John Mark was a great blow to the Apostle Paul. But this didn't stop him. He continued, and God did provide someone to replace the ones who had gone their separate ways. You see, the point here is that no one, not one person, is irreplaceable. God doesn't desire to replace us. But if we leave, if we step down, if we remove ourselves, 
if it's truly God's work, he will replace you with someone who will complete that work. It will not go undone. No one is irreplaceable. You see, pride will lead us to believe that the ministry can't go on without us. I've even heard it said, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what comes of that ministry. It'll all crumble. As if we had the power for it to crumble. We don't. I myself, if, if this is what God wants to do here, I myself can be a, a pride-filled knucklehead and step down and think that perhaps God can't continue on with his work here and God will raise someone else up to lead the very work that he has begun here at Refuge. It's not dependent on one person. It wasn't dependent on Barnabas. It wasn't dependent on John Mark. It wasn't even dependent on the Apostle Paul or Silas or Timothy. The person who chooses to leave is the one who loses out, though. And oftentimes fails to learn some good lessons. God will always provide for the work of the ministry, people and other resources necessary to fulfill his will. The question is, are you going to be a part of that? Or are you not going to be a part of that? That's totally up to you and up to me, what we choose to do. Well, Paul wanted Timothy to join him in the ministry, and so he took Timothy and he, of course, circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on one second. I thought that physical circumcision meant nothing. I know that's what you were thinking, right? I saw the question in your eyes, and you're all thinking that, right? You, you guys okay? All right. You get, can I get a, a little response here, a little amen? You know, you guys, Just wave at me. You guys can hear? Okay. Is this thing on? Okay. <laughs> All right. Wake up the person next to you if they're sleeping. If, phys- if physical circumcision means nothing, then why do it? Why, why, why do it? Uh, take a, let's move over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 25. Romans chapter 2, verse 25, says, For a circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God." So, then if this is true, and Paul knew this, then why is it that he was looking for a commendation from the Jews because of what he did outwardly? 
Well, it's a simple explanation. Because this is true regarding salvation. Nothing outwardly physical will do. It's a circumcision of the heart. This is true regarding salvation. This does not have any significance. But Paul didn't have Timothy circumcised to be saved. But rather for the sake of saving others. Because the question is, did Timothy have to be circumcised? No, he didn't. Couldn't he have simply explained to everyone the reason why he wasn't circumcised? He could have. He really could. He could have gone to every single synagogue, and yet, even though they they didn't give him, allow him entry into the synagogue, perhaps he could explain from the outside. This is something important that we're going into here. You see, the Jews considered any uncircumcised Jew as apostate. If the father was a non-Jew and the mother was a Jew, then the lineage would follow the mother, but the Jew had to be circumcised in order to be in line and be accepted into the community of believers. Well, an apostate is not allowed to go into synagogue. And so it was that they were doing something very important here. Did Timothy have the liberty to remain uncircumcised? Yes, he absolutely had the liberty to remain uncircumcised, but he agreed to circumcision for the sake of winning more Jews to the faith. That's the whole reason why he did it. That, 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 that is so... Oh, man, it, it, it is something that is completely selfless to have denied his liberty as a person of faith for the sake of winning people to Christ. Do you think that he was influenced by the selflessness of the Apostle Paul the last time he saw him and witnessed what he was willing to endure for the sake of the gospel? I think so. You see, Timothy gave up. He didn't give in. But in following through with giving up his liberty to not have to be circumcised, he was offering himself up to the Lord and desired to see his will be done and more people be saved, just like the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. And he encouraged this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. This is what we're looking at right now in Acts chapter 16 with Timothy. This very thing. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, so he's practicing with Timothy in this place and teaching him what this looks like practically in everyday living. And then he continues, verse 21, uh, to those outside the law became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, 
that I may share with them in its blessings. That's the perspective. That's the mentality. That's the heart that we as believers ought to have. You know, we are at liberty. We, we have many freedoms. But make sure that those freedoms, those liberties, don't cause someone else to stumble. Or even worse, prevent them from coming to the Lord. Timothy, he offered up. This was an offering to the Lord so that he could see more people come to salvation. So giving up to win souls. Number two, good news for all is what we see in verses four and five. As we continue, it says, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So this, uh, this was something that, uh, of course, by the Jerusalem Council came to a conclusion. Uh, they sent a letter to all the churches to make sure that they understood that nothing else was required of them. No circumcision, no observance of, of the, the festivals uh, of, uh, of the Jewish people. None of that. They didn't have to do any of that. And so Paul and Silas were going to each city and reading the letter and explaining to them exactly what that meant. And so... As they went through the cities, they had great success. Why? Because they were encouraging the brethren. You don't have to do these things for... Nothing else but God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ brings salvation. And you're not mandated, you're not required to observe anything else outside of what was listed in that letter. And we went over that a couple weeks ago. This was good news for all. They were encouraged. They were stirred up. Because they didn't have to do anything in addition to believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as their Savior, to be saved. God meets you where you are and does a work of sanctification. He's, he's not in the business of changing your personality. Let me, let me ask you this. Peter. Peter being Peter. Paul being Paul. John and James being considered, or they were considered the sons of thunder. Did, did God say to them, you must change your personality. You must all be the same. No, they, they all had their own personalities, didn't they? They all did. One was very direct. The other one just, you know, had foot and mouth syndrome. Uh, you know, you had a couple of uh, guys that uh, were, were willing to call just, fire from heaven to consume people that uh, rejected him. You know, it, but it was that that was turned around as God sanctified them. He used their personalities, refining their character to bring glory to the Lord. That's what he did. And this is the work of sanctification, Salvation is the miracle of a moment, as Alan Redpath said, but sanctification is the work of a lifetime. God is into working on your character, and as he changes your character, you will be more aware of his desires and will become more effective in impacting those around you with the gospel as it reflects in your own life. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17. says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the, same, at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Oftentimes, we're, we're looking to change everything about our lives. And that's, that's not what, you know, externally, you know, within your heart, he's doing a work. But hey, the profession that you have, glorify God in it. Wherever he has you, married, you have kids, that's where you glorify the Lord. In your home, in your place of employment, with the friends that you have in the neighborhood where you live. Look for ways in which God can use you to bring glory to him and do a work right there. So relax. As God saves, he begins to work on us through his word. In fact, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As you give yourself to being strengthened in your faith, the Lord will give the increase. And that's what we see in the churches throughout the cities where the Apostle Paul, Silas, and now Timothy are going through and strengthening them, encouraging them. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see this in action. It says, And they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching, that's what they were doing, and the fellowship, that's what they were doing, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's exactly what they were doing in these towns, in these cities. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see the community of Jesus lovers. That's what it was. You see, for us, the church is a community of Jesus people. That's who we are. And we ought to become more familiar with each other. That way we know how to serve each other and how it is that we can stir each other up in the Lord. Encouraging one another. And the Lord added to the churches as they continue to grow in the Lord. How can you glorify the Lord in the place God has you? I pray that you have that perspective, that you have that desire. That this, that's exactly what you ask. How is it that the Lord can use, use me right here? 
How can he use me within my family? How can he use me within my place of employment? How can he use me with my friends? How can he use me within my Bible study group? How can he help me to bless and glorify him in every place that he has me? So, number one, giving up to win souls. Number two, good news for all. And lastly, God guides to just the right place. It is no coincidence, is by no chance, that you are right here, right now. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Just, just a quick note. Um, the writer of the book of Acts is, is Luke. Okay, At this point, if you notice something, he included himself in the group. He is now referring to the group as us. It's not them. It's not the Apostle Paul. It's not Barnabas. Now, now it's us. So at this point, Luke has joined them in this very place. Becomes part of the missionary team. And so we see the Apostle Paul. We see Silas. We see Timothy. And now we see Dr. Luke. And he's joining them as well. Well, God guides definitely to just the right place. What, what an interesting situation to be in, though. As we read that, two times the Apostle Paul was denied entry into certain places that he had a desire to proclaim the gospel in. I, I would think that the preaching of the gospel in any place would be according to God's will. And it is. But his timing and his person to do these works is his prerogative. Because Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia and then forbidden again in Bithynia. Notice that that didn't stop him. He didn't at that point stop and go, well, I I guess the Lord doesn't want me to continue. I guess this is the end of the line. Let's go back to Antioch. Let's go back to Jerusalem. Let him know, hey, this is as far as we got. And that's it. No, no, no. He, he went on. He continued on north. It's like, okay, not here, not here, but let's continue going. I don't know what the Lord has, but we just keep going. Nothing's stopping me. It's just we are discerning that the Holy Spirit is guiding us in a different way. Now, the places that he was forbidden to go into, Paul would later visit. We don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from preaching the word in these areas, but they were definitely sure that they were to keep going, and so they did. You see, God had work for them in other places. This was not Paul's will, but he was willing to surrender his will to God's will. Because his will, remember, he wanted to go into these areas. And the Lord said, no, no, keep going, Paul, pretty much keep going. And as the Holy Spirit led, so he went. There's, there's a peace about that. Whenever there's, there's opposition in certain areas, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's not for me to go there or do this or whatever, and, but, but keep going. Just keep going. Don't give up. In Jude, 
1.3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you, this is an example, to write to you about our common salvation, this is what Jude wanted to write about, right? He said, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We also have examples with missionaries who intended to go one way, but the Lord directed them a different way. David Livingston wanted to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, but God sent him to India. Adoniram Judson, well, he had gone to India, but then God directed him to Burma. And so many more. You remember Jonah? (laughs) Jonah wanted to escape God's will altogether, but he got turned around. Jonah ignored God's leading, but was dramatically corrected. That's one thing. As the Holy Spirit leads, so just go with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't be a Jonah to where you completely go in the opposite direction because God can and at times will dramatically correct us. Notice how God guided Paul, though, by forbidding him to go. Constant hindrances. You can say doors that were closed. Denial. But also notice that Paul just keeps going. He never stopped. Opposition does not mean stop. It it means uh, knock on the next door. And if that door remains closed, knock on the next one. And if that one's closed, keep on knocking on the next one. And then the next one and the one after that. And keep going until you realize, oh, this is where the Lord wants me right here. This is who the Lord wants me to speak to. I see a door that is wide open, an opportunity that God has divinely given to me. Sometimes we're the ones that aren't prepared for that exchange. And sometimes it's the other people who aren't willing to give God an opportunity to speak to them. Whatever it is, just keep knocking, keep going. Well, while at Troas, there seemed to be no more land to traverse. That was the end. He had come to the coast. There was land behind him, and God said no, <laughs> right? And so, he, so Paul and And his companions stayed there in Troas. They stayed the night. And it was while he was sleeping that he received this vision of this Macedonian man who was crying out for help. Come and help us in Macedonia. And so immediately he discerned that this was where the Lord wanted them to go. And they sought a way to get across the Asian Sea and over to Macedonia from Troas. And so they did. They wasted no time. They immediately made every effort to go, believing that God had sent them to preach the gospel to the people there. God has something for you. People to talk to at specific times and in specific places. We ought to learn how to discern those moments and those times, allowing him to do a work through each and every one of us. Now, those moments, if you're if you're keenly aware of his presence, if you understand that we are truly his ambassadors, there is no place that he sends us where we are that there isn't or could not be a great opportunity for us to perhaps encourage another brother or sister in Christ or perhaps to 
tell someone else the good news of Jesus Christ. There's always an opportunity. We just need to discern those moments. We need to be heavenly-minded, our hearts completely given to the Lord and whatever it is that he has for us in those moments. Well, there's much more that awaits Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke in Macedonia. And we'll learn about that next week. So, we learned what it meant to give up, to win souls. How it was that the people throughout the areas where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had been earlier received good news of, of God's grace that they weren't, uh, they didn't have to change uh, as far as just their common everyday practices outside of just not sinning against the Lord. And then how it is that God providentially guides to, uh, guides us to just the right places. It's, it's truly amazing if we, tr- if we pay attention. So I'm going to close with how I opened. What or who is guiding you? I sure do pray that it's not a horoscope. I hope it's not pop culture. No YouTube influencers. I know they're really popular. Oh, some have tens of thousands of followers. I don't know, million followers, whatever it is. Have you seen some of those YouTube videos of the quote-unquote influencers? Some of them I cannot make any sense out of. I'm like, and why do you follow him or her? I mean, they, they do things that is, I don't know. I don't even, I have no words for them. And they're influencing you to do what, right? Maybe an athlete. Music, movie stars, hopefully not money, career, children, spouses, comforts, prestige, power, security. Within some of those, they're not good to be guided by them, but it sure is great if God is at the center of those. And I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about our children. I'm talking about our careers. I'm talking about even our finances, you know, the Lord being in the middle of that all. But let him guide you in all of that. Don't let it guide you. What or who is guiding you? Whatever you have an appetite for will be your guide. It will consume your thoughts and provoke you to act. Isaiah 30, chapter 21 says, chapter 30, verse 21, says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let us take the example of the Apostle Paul as he had learned to listen to that voice that whispered to him this way and that way. Let us learn from Paul because he knew he had tasted and seen that the Lord is truly good. And he was willing to give of himself anything and everything for the sake of giving that hope to others and making sure that they knew it and they knew it well. May that be us. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us to come together and be encouraged by your word. I pray, Lord, that if there's anything other than you guiding us, Lord, giving us hope, Father, if it's anything but you, Lord, truly it's an empty hope. I pray, Lord, that we would simply confess that to you and, and Lord, allow you to take that place in our lives. Lord, that we, we would look to you for hope, guidance, that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would give us the, the tenacity, Lord, to persevere in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is just dark, Lord. Lord, we have the hope within us. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may it not remain in our, in our mouths and, and, and on the tip of our tongues, Lord. Let us truly speak of it and not hold back to any who, who's willing to listen and to hear and to receive. And so, Father, thank you for loving us the way you have. A love that's, that was displayed through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would live to glorify him. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.